guys, welcome back to my channel. So I'm sure you guys noticed that my background is different and it's because I finally, finally moved into my new office. For a good year, you guys, over a year actually, I've been working in this small little corner of my living room and it was really nice for what it was, but it became to be inconvenient because the people that live with me have to come in and out of the living room just to do their own things. And it would interrupt my videos, my mic would pick up on it. And so I had to always start and stop, start and stop. And when you have autism, having to stop a task and restart and stop again and restart is just it messes with your flow it's really really frustrating and a lot of the times I couldn't get my work done when I wanted and how I wanted and once my flow is messed up as well the way I talk my train of thought is completely lost at times I can't even pick up where I left off and I just have to move on from the task completely but I'm in my office I have my little safe haven I could just come in here every single day to meet with my clients make my videos and it just feels really good it's my little workspace. Anyways, today's video is going to be the last part, the third part of my little series where I compare and contrast ADHD and autism. In my first video, I went over what my life was like before the diagnosis. In my second video, I went over my ADHD traits and my autistic traits, the overlapping symptoms and also the differences. And in today's video, the third part, I'm gonna go over the process of being diagnosed for ADHD and the diagnosing process for autism because there's a difference there and then I'm also going to go over the improvement of my quality of life after getting treatment. To be specific, I got treated for the ADHD so I'm kind of going to go over what those treatment options look like and how they affected me personally. With that being said, let's get right into today's video. Alright you guys, so I made a pretty in-depth video on the diagnosing process. I actually made a couple videos. I made a video on getting diagnosed and I also made a video giving advice for those seeking diagnosis. So if that is a subject matter that interests you, which I know it interests a lot of you because I get a lot of you reaching out asking for advice on it, please go give those videos a watch. I'm sure a lot of your questions will be naturally answered if you just went and watched those videos. But if you still find yourself questioning something, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or email me and I will try my best to respond to you guys. That being said, I'm not going to go into an extreme amount of detail on my diagnosing process in this video. I'm just kind of going to summarize what that was like for me. And then the bigger chunk of this video is just going to talk about the treatment options for ADHD and how my life was personally affected with the types of treatment options I sought out. When it comes to ADHD and getting diagnosed for it, I had to get assessed twice. A big reason why is because of some of the traits that I mentioned in my previous video in the second part, the emotional dysregulation in combination of the PTSD and the traumatic experiences that I had throughout my life. Those factors kind of led my first assessor to want to just throw the label of BPD onto me. I want to really emphasize that I didn't just discount the BPD because I didn't want to be diagnosed with it. I genuinely, genuinely, logically and objectively listened to why this assessor was trying to diagnose me with it. I wrote down my notes. I did all the research I could do on BPD, I reflected, and I just could not 
align with the symptoms of BPD. I could see why she thought I had BPD, but I felt like when she explained to me why she thought I had BPD, not only that, but she told me she did not believe I had ADHD. It just, her explanation was not, it did not make sense. It was not concise. And I felt like I could understand why she would think it through her very simple explanations, but it was just not very nuanced and didn't make too much sense for me as a person. And she only really asked questions about my past. It's okay to get someone's history of their life and their mental health, but if you combine that with the fact that she asked little to no questions about who I am today and the symptoms of ADHD that I struggle with today, it lends for their idea of me to be very skewed to my past self, if that makes sense. That kind of came up in her interpretation to me and her explanation to me when she was trying to tell me why she thought I had BPD. I felt like when she was explaining back to me her reasoning, it was based off of who I was as a teenager rather than who I am today as a 25 year old woman. I'm 26 now, but I was diagnosed last year. And so it makes a huge difference for an individual to have gone through, you know, growing into adulthood, who have grown into a safer environment, who have spent years healing their PTSD and working on themselves. It takes a lot of that for you to grow into aspects of yourself that is more authentic to you rather than just like your trauma responses, for example, and aspects of yourself that is like PTSD related, if that makes sense. I felt like in many ways, who I am today as a woman who's been working on myself and my healing process and fostering a healthy life for myself for the past like six years or so is completely different from a person from who I was when I was 14 years old living in a domestically abusive household with an active domestic abuser you know it's just it's very different it's not the same and so that was a big reason why I decided to seek out a second opinion and this time around I was a lot more precise and picky with who was going to assess me I made sure that the person that was assessing me was a psychiatrist the person who assessed me before was working for a private ADHD company where her credentials were just not of a psychiatrist. I don't know exactly how she was qualified to assess me and diagnose me in the first place, but from what I gathered, she had like specific certifications to assess people for specific things, but she was not a psychiatrist. So this time around for my second assessment, I found a psychiatrist and one of my requirements is that this psychiatrist had to specialize in assessing adults for ADHD. And I say that because a lot of women who have undiagnosed neurodivergency, our neurodivergency will present itself in a different light. So it's important to find a medical professional, to find a clinician that is well-versed in that specific topic so that they could see through the nuances and be able to give you as nuanced of an assessment that they can give to give you as much of an accurate diagnosis that they can give you and to give you as much accurate advice as to treatment options that you may have. Long story short, this psychiatrist specializing in ADHD assessed me for two different sessions, one hour each, and by the end of it, she diagnosed me with ADHD 
and she began to treat me for it in which I started to try different medications with her and over the course of six months or so we tried different types of medication, we tried different dosages and different ways of taking the medication and we got to a point where my medication, the type, the dosage, and when I would take it, how I would take it, was so refined that my ADHD began to really, really get the help that it needed, essentially. So all the things that I struggled with my whole life in relation to ADHD, executive dysfunction and stuff like that, began to decrease so much because I was finally getting the help that I needed, the treatment that I needed. In combination of the behavioral interventions, I was applying to myself and holding myself accountable to. So even before getting diagnosed and getting treated and medicated, I was still managing my life very, very carefully to with like behavioral interventions. But when you combine the right medication with that, that's like the gold standard, like getting the medication right, but also being very, very aware and cognizant that you're following along and following through with habits that is beneficial for you and is able to allow you to maintain your life and your responsibility as healthy as possible. I say that because I don't want people to think that medication is an end-all be-all and it fixes everything. Like you take a pill and all of a sudden you're amazing at your job and your life is perfect. No, and I saw someone explain this before in a very, very good way. When you have ADHD and it's not getting treated, a lot of the times things that take objective energy becomes needing to use emotional and mental energy to do a physical task. So a lot of the times for neurotypical people, they could just get things done objectively with their normal objective energy levels. But for people with ADHD, we have to draw on other reserves like our emotional energy, our mental energy in order to just do a physical task that doesn't necessarily require emotional energy. But for us, we need to draw on those wells and it completely exhausts you and it makes you anxious and all of those things. I felt like with my medication, I could manage all these things without needing to draw on that emotional energy. So I could literally get everything I need to get done throughout the day. My emotional energy would still be completely intact by the end of the day. I don't have to have these long drawn out emotional thoughts or feelings come up while doing these tasks. I could literally just get these things done and be very calm and stable throughout. My routines became solidified. I became a lot more consistent. And that's a really, really big factor as to how my life improved overall, just my consistency and the fact that I could get things done without having to draw on that emotional well. That impacts my emotional life as well because when I do have to process my emotions and reflect on that type of stuff, I actually have the energy to do so because I'm not using that to do objective things like running errands, maintaining my business, making these videos and all that stuff. So moving on to my diagnosing process for ASD, again, watch this video if you want to see the details of that because the diagnosing process for autism is a lot more complex. But long story short, when I started to get diagnosed for my ADHD, my autistic traits really started to get highlighted a lot more. I was a lot more consistent. I was a lot more stable. And that's when the autistic traits of being rigid, of having OCD tendencies, 
series of having very, very strong preferences that seem like OCD started to come out a lot more. And that's when I really started to notice. And also my, my partner, my boyfriend started to notice as well that, hold on, Irene is really different. I began to be very, very particular about how I did things, about how others did things, about how I wanted to maintain my life and my living situation. That was also very consistent as well. Like it wasn't just sporadic and random, right? It was like very, very particular. When you coincide that with the fact that I was also watching a lot more content about autistic individuals, autistic women, I started to realize for the first time in my life, hold on, is there something else here that I never considered? And so I deep dove into researching about autism and really keeping track of my own autistic symptoms. I even went back to all of my report cards from kindergarten through sixth grade to see if there was a pattern there from childhood that carried on throughout my life into adulthood. And I was so surprised to see that there was. And that's when I knew, I knew I had autism and that's when I just deep dove into finding the right assessor to be able to diagnose me with it. And long story short, in 2021 last year at the age of 25, I was diagnosed with ADHD at the beginning of 2021 and then finally diagnosed with autism at the end of 2021. My quality of life has only been progressively improving since then, which kind of leads me to the end of this video and like wrapping it all up. I get a lot of people asking me both in my personal life and in my work life, is it worth it for me to go explore whether or not I am neurodivergent and to seek that diagnosis? And I will always, always, always tell people it's better to know than to not know. You're gonna struggle regardless. If you suspect you're neurodivergent and let's say you are and you're just not diagnosed and untreated, you're already struggling. You've already been struggling, right? But you'd rather struggle with the answers you need and the tools you need to be able to empower yourself when you want and how you want moving forward. Whether or not you want to do anything with that knowledge is up to you. Like, let's say you get diagnosed and you're like, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm just gonna set it aside, not think about it for now and not do anything with it. Totally up to you, that's totally fine, right? But at least you have that knowledge, at least you have that power and that tool at your disposal when you do decide to do something with it. And I am very much so in belief that the more power you have, the more you could do with your life, the more improvements you can make on your life, the more comfortable you can make your life. It's not gonna magically make your life amazing and fulfilling and meaningful. You know, you're still gonna struggle. You're still gonna have to put in the work, but at least you have the knowledge to do so and at least you now have more tools to do something about the things that you struggle with. Also, the process of diagnosing is not necessarily gonna be easy. And the process of improving on your life doesn't stop with the diagnosing and with the treatment. This is something you're gonna have to maintain for the rest of your life, right? But I guarantee you, putting in the work and coping with the knowledge of what you're even struggling with and how you can help that is 10 times better than struggling in the darkness and just floating around all these issues in which you don't know where they come from and you don't exactly know why you're struggling with it and how to even fix it. Get your feet on the ground, get the information you need and move forward. If you're going down the wrong path, that's okay. Acknowledge that that's the wrong path. Acknowledge why it was the wrong path 
and pivot into another path. But either way, knowing where you're going, why you're going that way, and why you might have to move into another direction is a lot more empowering and makes a lot more sense and is a lot more comforting than just struggling and floating around in the ethers of just not knowing why you're struggling and not knowing what to do about it. So yes, let me know you guys, how can you improve your life today? How can you improve on your life this week? What can you do for yourself to give yourself a chance and the tools that you need to make your life more comfortable, more fulfilling? And if my content, my videos, my story and experiences have helped you out at all by shedding some sort of light, by giving you some sort of comfort, by teaching you anything about yourself and about neurodivergency, please give this video a like. It helps me out so, so much with the algorithm gods. If you haven't yet, subscribe to my channel. I make new videos every single week. I will see you guys on next week's video.